How much time do you have with students in your STEM classroom? In this episode, Claire and I share the findings of Vivify's national survey of over 600 STEM teachers, including the average time for elementary and middle school STEM classes. Who do you think has the most time? Tune in for the results, plus how time is just one constraint in trying to achieve our goals for students. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, Claire. Hey. I hear you're out of coffee. (laughs) I'm out of coffee. (laughs) What are you going to do? I don't know. My daughter has a double ear infection, and so we're not sleeping, and I'm out of coffee. It's supposed to be delivered today, and I'm out of chocolate because I took all my chocolate up to school because we're supposed to do the solar oven challenge, but it's supposed to rain all week, and this happens every year, and I should have known because we're doing the solar oven challenge, and my third graders are doing the STEM Explorers chili solar car challenge of course they are so you know i should have known there's gonna be no sun for weeks i bet (laughs) so have you tried using uv flashlights yes and it's there's not enough power oh it it kind of works but it's so slow that there's not enough momentum to work on the challenge because the solar car is supposed to go well so there's this poster that you have to print off and then I make like a little mountain range out of some construction paper and they have to figure out a way to get the solar car to go over the mountains and then reach where the solar panels are and this is based on the geography of Chile and their uh, solar panel fields but it's right next to the ocean so they need to be able to stop the car before it goes in the ocean but if you don't have good sunlight the they are ultimately going to be building some sort of ramp that goes over the mountains and the car just does not have enough energy to go up the ramp. Hmm. We've tried. So while I'm waiting for the sun, I could do something else. What are you doing in your classroom? Well, we are learning about buoyancy and density and other physical properties of matter this week. Um, So I feel like you've done a lot of these activities there the one that worked really well last semester is the density tube so we look at different liquids Mm -hmm. of different density like oil and water and so on which is cool but what's even better is when you drop different um objects like an aluminum screw or like a wooden block and you show how it falls at different levels So you're connecting the idea of density of solids and density of liquids and how it's the same, like it's all density. Does that make sense? I've never thought to do that before, but that's fascinating. And you'll see the densities match, right? And they'll float in the zone they're supposed to, and it like blows their minds because they're like, oh, because all they think of density and buoyancy is water and boats on water. So I'm trying to connect it beyond that and how it's like a property of all materials. So something else you can bring into that, which always confuses kids, is about clouds and why clouds are the height that they are, the altitude that they are. And that's why. It's because of the density 
in the the air. I like that. That's perfect because yeah. I'm going to talk about air pressure and weather balloons um, and show them the video. And then I can be like, oh, remember we talked about density? Mm. How? Yeah. I That's something I never thought about. Because, you know, density, I, I feel like kids can grasp the whole liquid density thing way better because they can see the liquids. Right. But anytime we talk about like atmospheric pressure and things like that, they don't see the air. So it's, I don't think they ever really get it. And so that would be... Yeah really interesting to see if that helps understanding. My students are also not convinced air is real. So I'm struggling. What? <laughs> yeah. So we talked about matter last week and we were oh. like, what is matter? It has, takes up space. It has mass. And I had a bunch of stuff listed and I told them to pick which one of these is matter and air was listed. And there was a group of students that were like, I can't see air. It is not matter. And <laughs> like, so how could I prove this to you, right? And so one way to prove it to them is, well, you blow up a balloon and it increases in size. So the volume is changing. You can also weigh an object like a basketball pre-inflation and then you add air and then you weigh it after. So I did a couple of those like experiments and I think it convinced them. Um, but this is a 19, 20 year old group. Imagine how it is to convince a first or second grader that air mm -hmm. has mass and that is actually a thing even though you can't feel it well you can feel it like if you stick your hand out the window in a car right but yeah it was interesting misconception yeah and your students have built up this misconception for a long time so that's really hard to right. undo it have you done air cannons with them because i feel like that's a really Ooh. good one for them to be like oh air has force yeah so I took a, and I've done this before with, to make the smoke rings with like a, um, what do you call this? Smoke thing. <laughs> smoke machine. Oh, okay. Fog, yeah. fog machine. Fog. That's what yeah. it's called. <laughs> uh, I took a big like uh, flower planter, a plastic one that I got at Walmart, and I cut a hole on the bottom. And then the larger end where you're supposed to have the flowers come out, I taped a trash bag over that end. So then what you do, and you don't have to use a fog machine with this, but it's really cool because you can see it, is I turn on the fog machine and blow the fog into the pot. And then I hit the back where the a trash bag is and it pushes the air out the smaller hole. And because it's a smaller hole, it's more force than what I hit it with because it kind of right. narrows. Yeah. And so you can see these smoke rings billow out of it. But if you don't have a fog machine, you can just hit it towards their face and you can be like <laughs> 10 feet away and they'll be like, get this big puff of air and be like, whoa, like you just oh, hit me fine. with air <laughs> and you can <laughs> knock stuff over, like you make towers of cups and you can see how far away you can be and knock it over with yeah. the air cannon. So it's oh, air has fun. force. How can it do that? Because it has matter. <laughs> Right. Okay. I love it. That's super fun. Okay. I might have to bring that and create it for my students. Yeah. You can make small ones with yeah. like a latex balloon and a solo cup and just oh. cut the bottom of the cup out and then yeah. put the latex balloon. You have to uh -huh. cut the the end off. And yeah. Put so it over you can cap it. Is uh -huh. this like in our alphabet stem? It is. Yep. Okay. It's in the A, letter A. Mm -hmm. For air cannon. I love That's it. That's right. That's cool. Hmm. Okay. 
All right. So other things happening are I just came back from a conference that I was telling you about. It's the Frontiers in Education. It's this international conference for specifically engineering computer science education for all grades from K-12, but also higher education. So there's a lot of faculty there that are like engineering, computer science faculty that are like, how do I take this stuff and better teach my own students, but also translate it for the public. So a lot of discussions on like AI and how to help people understand what it is and educate kids. Should we put it in the curriculum? Um, so it was a really interesting conference. Would you like to hear my, some Please. highlights from my talk? Yes. What did you talk <laughs> like, about? I shared the results from that survey we did last spring where we pushed it out to STEM teachers. And it was like the STEM teacher survey, kind of like, what are the constraints in your classroom? How much time do you have? Where do you get your curriculum? Things like that. So not to bore you with the details, but it was a statistics study. <laughs> well, it was mixed method, which means I did qualitative research. So like open-ended questions, I looked at what are the themes? What are people talking about? And then the other side was a quantitative analysis on, okay, I teach this grade level. How much time do I have? And we were trying to see if there was a relationship between the two. And basically what we found, so we had three groups of teachers. We had primary, which was pre-K through fifth grade. We had middle school that was sixth through eighth grade. And then we had our in-betweeners that were like primary and middle. So they could have mm. taught third through sixth, or they could have been a Claire pre-K through eighth <laughs> and above. <laughs> so which of those groups do you think had the least amount of time to teach STEM? Uh, I would think the older you get, you have less time to teach STEM? Completely opposite. Really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, okay. This day and age, they have like STEM as a enrichment, I guess. Right. So, so younger, they're usually, yeah, self-contained. Yeah. And that was the tricky part is what do they mean? I teach STEM, like where? So we mm. focused on people who call themselves STEM teachers. Like, you. Okay. So you teach it as a STEM elective. Um, and so these were a STEM teacher that pulls kids out, whether it's rotating kids through or it's a standalone elective, it's a STEM class. Mm -hmm. And so the primary grade, so pre-K through fifth, had an average of 55 minutes per week. So mm -hmm. once a week, you get the kids. And then it's skewed all the way to middle school, you get 182 minutes per week. So wow. it was like way more. Um, substantially more at the middle school grades. And the other interesting thing is primary, like everybody only gets one class period a week. Like there was very little variability in the data. Like all teachers are like, I get once a week with the kids. Hmm. Middle school was just like a wild, wild west. So some teachers are like, I get 30 minutes a week. Other teachers are like, I get 300 minutes a week. And it was just like everything in between. So they're seeing them maybe once a week maybe once every other week, or they're seeing them every single day for what? like 30 to 45 minutes in middle school. Huh. That's really interesting. How do they fit in all the other stuff that they have to do? I don't I think know. it's just the schedule. Like I know like Project Lead the Way or other electives have the elective every single day in some schools. So they're seeing those engineering students every day as an elective. 
but the 300 minutes per week really surprised me. And it was like <sighs> a, several were the between 200 to 300 minutes, which is a lot of huh. time with those kids. So thought that was awesome that they were like getting that much time. It just shows you how much variability there is. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, what's what would be interesting is like, okay, how much time do you get? And then what are the expectations put on you? Yeah, are you that's the science teacher? Like, are you also teaching the science standards? Or is it just like, have fun, do some engineering, careers? That's like the big question here. Because we also ask them, like, what are your constraints in your classroom? So like, what do you see as the biggest problem or challenge? Um, what's the answer, Claire? What do you think most teachers complained about the most? Besides time? Yeah. So time was number one. Um, what would be number two, do you think? Probably supplies. Close. It was a very close third. So okay. What was the other one? Well, it's something you have a problem with also that you're like, oh, I wish I had more money. Yes. <laughs> See, that was easy. <laughs> okay. So the, they were like, I think those I are like tied. Are they not the same? Supplies well, and money? Kind, yeah, true. That could be tied together. But yeah, we were talking like budget. So like, do I have enough mm -hmm. money? And then stuff could be like 3D printers or computers or stuff oh, that okay. money can buy, but just in general yeah. materials. Um, and then the next one should be familiar to everybody as space. Like, mm -hmm. I just don't have enough space to store all this stuff. Um, so a lot of this, you know, kind of like makes sense. But our, our biggest, um, the finding with the time was really interesting, especially when you connect it to science education. So right now, Texas has added engineering into the science standards that's coming out next year. NGSS already does that. So like more than half of the states now use NGSS, which is like you should teach engineering with your science curriculum. So they're basically doing STEM, you know, like mm -hmm. you're having to now become an expert in engineering design and add it into your science curriculum. So in 1990s, they would teach science in elementary 180 minutes per week. 10 years later, it dropped like about 30 minutes less. And now 2021, we get about 115 minutes per week of science. So over time, you have less and less time in a science classroom, mm -hmm. but you have higher and higher expectations of those teachers. They're adding in more content. They're adding in engineering. And I feel like the same thing can be said for these like STEM electives is we're putting so much weight on these teachers. Like you are in charge to equip the next generation for all these STEM jobs you get 30 minutes a week. <laughs> Good luck. Ah, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I think there's a lot of burnout too of STEM teachers because of a lack of support, lack of understanding what the constraints are from admin administrators and those that are making all these standards. Because how are you putting so much pressure and then not offering all the things that are going to help meet that? So, I've been doing this for a while and I still spend a lot of time outside of class preparing and I feel like we are on top of what's going on. But if you take a teacher that's just thrown into this or a science teacher that's now being told to teach engineering, like how, how are they doing that? <laughs> right. And the time piece is so important because how much time do you have per week with your students? 
Um, most grades, I get them twice a week for 45 minutes. Nice. Okay. So you're above average, especially mm -hmm. for those elementary grades where they get 55 minutes. Because I'm thinking, say you're doing a catapult challenge, 55 minutes gives you enough time to set up the challenge, get the stuff, build something, and then the bell rings. Like, there's no reflection, there's no redesign. Mm -hmm. You don't have time for the most critical piece of the engineering design challenge. And I would say even in that time, depending on your size of your class, you don't have enough time to build. And so you're just getting through like brainstorming in your design. And then you have to wait a whole week before they even get to start building. And by then you just kind of have to reintroduce a lot of the science concepts again. So it's really hard to make progress that way. Yeah. And I'm curious to hear from teachers out there, like, how do you make it work? Like we're seeing the data, you only have less than an hour a week with these kids. How do you do an engineering design challenge? Like, are you saving your stuff from week to week? Space is obviously a problem. You have like 200 kids. Like how mm -hmm. many catapults can you store? And like, I know Claire, you have different projects for every grade. Mm -hmm. And so just like keeping track of that madness, <laughs> it's a lot. It and is a lot. I just hope that you know, principals and districts and like these education agencies that put on these policies and expectations for teachers can really understand that when you raise expectations, you have to provide the space for that learning to happen. Because if we can take anything from science education, what we've noticed is we're falling more and more behind in science compared to other countries, despite increasing the expectations in science. Because when you increase expectations and lower time, you just have to memorize. You just have to really superficially learn, like, bam, 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 let's yes. learn about atoms and physics and you know what I mean? And there's no time to like really understand anything. So teachers just throwing it at them, it's chaos. Yeah. And that's what I was about to say, Natasha, is the superficial part. I feel like if if we were to help somebody who's struggling with this challenge, We'd have to say, you can't do it all if this is your constraint. So what would be the most important? How should you approach a design challenge to make sure that students are getting the most out of it and that it's not completely overwhelming you? So right. how do you think they should, what would you take off? What would you remove from a challenge in order for a teacher who's that constrained? Right. Yeah, I would say less is more. And that's what I've learned in my own class is I always put on these high expectations for myself on what I want to accomplish in a semester. Mm -hmm. And every time I teach it, I teach less and less, but deeper and deeper yes. because I've noticed that if I can just pause and help students just reflect on what just happened, let's apply it to a new scenario and let's reapply it to this and rethink about it that really helps them understand the content versus me going through 50 slides on a PowerPoint. They're just zoning out, could care less, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's this balance we have to do as teachers is like, we want to cover so much, but we also want our kids to love learning and develop these skills, you know, the process skills, the practices, and actually understand this stuff and apply it to their own lives. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think I also have slowed down. I feel like I'm accomplishing less as far as what it looks like on paper and how many projects we've done. But man, my students are growing so much because I've slowed yeah. down.
Yeah. And I'm thinking through our scope and sequence, mm -hmm. I've had some teachers that have done like the space lander. And so we recommend a couple weeks on that project, but I, someone emailed and was like, I have spent six weeks on the space lander because they break it down so much where they spend a week on just talking about drag and doing, you know, mm. kind of side inquiries on it. And then they come back to it and then they spend a week on just the career connection and researching the career. And so don't, so the constraints of like supplies and budget, don't feel like you need to do all the things, quadcopters, 3D printing, yeah. rovers, right? It gets overwhelming fast. And sure, it looks great to district that you've covered a million topics. But if you really think about what is having the biggest impact, it's slowing down and breaking apart these projects into manageable components. And that learning can last you that whole semester with like one hefty design topic mm -hmm. can that's it. Like you just pick a really awesome meaty problem and just keep coming at it from different angles and the kids are just going to love it. And that's what we've been doing with our 5E products that we have now is they're going to take a long time and they have mm -hmm. research components, but they are so dense with rich content that you can really slow down and help students experience the science and the other concepts right. that are involved. So yeah. I'm doing that zoo enclosure right now and it's been wonderful for my students to be able to slow down and I don't feel overwhelmed uh, jumping from project to project when we're doing something like this. So uh, yeah, I think those are all really great things, Natasha. And I hope that the people that went to the conference were able to get some good takeaways from your session. Yeah, it was really fun to kind of hear from other presenters and other challenges. Um, a lot of the faculty put on summer camps and so they have the flexibility to kind of pick and choose what works for them. And this was a takeaway I gave them was like, just focus on one topic, <laughs> you know, and take your time and let kids experience it. There's some cool projects with drones that I saw and the students, it's the University of Maine. It's an aerospace engineering faculty. The students take drones and connect it to a citizen science project. So they design a device, they fly the drone over the lake and have a device that collects water for research scientists at the university to measure the different toxin levels, answering different research questions. And it's high school students that are flying the drones and collecting the data. And I'm like, that's incredible. Like, that's the perfect citizen science project. But what I asked him was, well, what were your learning goals? Like, what was the intention of that project? And he didn't really know. Like, he was like, well, you teach flying and safety. And, and I'm like, okay, teachers need it specific. Like, are you teaching science content? Do you have curriculum to support that? You know, and that's the disconnect between sometimes these outreach programs and people that are bringing it into the classroom. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of our mission here at Vilify is like taking that cool real world stuff and making it adaptable to what you're trying to teach your students. Yeah, so if you have any trouble like you maybe even have an idea of something that you want to do and but you need help making it fit you should email us and we'll try to help you out because this is what we love to do so email us at info at vivifystem.com and we'd love to help you all right but for now stem space out are you looking for low prep high quality and engaging stem units become a stem space member you will get instant access to Vivify's growing collection of over 200 K through eighth grade STEM lessons. Membership also includes professional development videos that are added each month and can earn you continuing education credits. 
Join today through the link in the show notes to vivify your STEM teaching.